أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائم على أعدائهم أجمعين من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of our tafsir of Dua Kumail podcast in the previous episode, we were discussing this line of the du'a in which Ali ibn Abi Talib says, That you will make my a'mal acceptable from your perspective and that you will accept my a'mal from me. And we discussed this, uh, elaborated on it quite a bit, that there is a difference between a action being valid and an act of worship being accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is a difference, as we, we would say in Arabic, between an act of worship being sahih, valid, and an act of worship being accepted or maqbul. And we said the main difference is that when you have an act of worship that is sahih, it is valid, mainly what you are referring to is that this act of worship was carried out in such a way that from a jurisprudential perspective, from a legal perspective, it is not invalid. There are certain conditions that needed to be kept in mind. There are certain conditions that needed to be kept, essentially taken into consideration. And you do that. And the effect of it is that on the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept this deed from this perspective. That yes, you took care of this deed. We cannot punish you for not taking care of this deed. It essentially checks the checklist of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we said there is a second level that goes beyond just my act of worship being valid, and that is that my act of worship would be maqbul or accepted, we said the effect of that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put the spiritual effect of this act of worship into my life. And we gave some examples with regards to praying. We gave some examples regarding to fasting as well. We said when it comes to praying, for example, the Quran says, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ when you pray, this prayer will forbid you from doing wrong deeds. We said this is a spiritual effect of prayer. If I carry out my prayer and it doesn't have the proper conditions, then this spiritual effect will not present itself in my life. With fasting, it is the same thing. With fasting, we have multiple spiritual effects. If I fast, but I don't do it in the proper manner, then the fasting will not carry out its spiritual effects into my life. Okay. But the question that we posed at the end of the previous episode was, how can I know if my a'mal are being accepted? Or to be more precise, what am I supposed to do? What are those extra conditions that I'm supposed to do in order for my a'mal to be accepted? Now, there might be a multitude of conditions for my a'mal to be accepted. But we're about to mention what we're about to mention is probably the most important one and it's not an easy one so i will i will admit that you know admit that up front it's a difficult one to actually make it happen but you will find in the verses of the quran a very beautiful verse that has to do with the story of the two children of adam السلام, that talks about what a human being needs to do that their amal are not just valid from a jurisprudential perspective and that they carry a minimal effect in their life but that it will be maqbul and therefore a full spiritual effect of it will present itself 
in this person's life. In the story of Adam salam, there's a beautiful line because we know that the two children of Adam, each one of them made a promise to do a sacrifice for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the verses of the Quran says, When they both sacrificed, but only one of their sacrifices was accepted. But we did not accept the sacrifice of the other one. Qabil turned to Habil and said, I will kill you because of this. And Habil said, Don't you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He will only accept the deeds of those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does this mean? What 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 does this practically mean in my life? A lot of times what you will find speakers or even you know, imams, mulanas, they will speak of these religious concepts, but unfortunately, they won't really tie it into the day-to-day -day life of the human being. And this is a problem that we have because then people walk away having a very vague understanding of what their religion really wants from them. Taqwa is one of those concepts that people will talk about left and right, but they won't explain very well from a practical perspective what is the meaning of this taqwa. And what do I have to do if I want to know what level of taqwa I have, or even if I have any of it, where am I supposed to look for this? Essentially, what the verse of the Quran is saying is that the one who has fear in his heart of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then he does something good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept his deed. Well, what does it mean for me to have fear in my heart? In a very simple and very you know uh, practical manner, what that means is that you are the type of person that when it comes to the rest of your life, outside of this particular act of worship that you are taking care of, outside of that, the rest of your life, you are working hard to stay away from and refrain from sinning. This is one of the main conditions for the a'mal of a person to be accepted. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that, for example, if I'm fasting, and I'm doing everything correctly from a legal and a fiqhi jurisprudential perspective, right? I'm not eating, I'm not drinking. For those of the marajin who say that putting your head, you know, underwater, immersing your head underwater makes your, you know, your fasting batil, I'm not doing that either. You know, I'm taking all these conditions into consideration, right? I wait until it's maghrib and I'm sure it's maghrib, then I break my fast. Okay, when I'm doing all of that, but at the same time, throughout the day, I try to stay away from sinning. And I understand that this fasting should have a deeper effect on me. And therefore, when it comes to, for example, viewing things or watching things that are haram for me to watch, I'm trying to stay away from that. When it comes to having the proper akhlaq and not yelling at my relatives, for example, I'm trying to do that. Whatever I'm trying to do outside of this particular act of worship in order to refrain from sinning, in order to refrain from going against the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is practically what taqwa means. And obviously, there are going to be different levels to it. And based on the level of taqwa that someone carries, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept that deed of theirs in the sense that the spiritual effect will present itself to the extent of their taqwa. If my taqwa is at a level 2 out of 10, then when I fast, there's only going to be two out of ten of the spiritual effects that are going to implement themselves in my life, right? But if it's at an eight, 
then when I fast, I actually feel it. And, you know, a lot of times, 90% of the times when, when, you know, I go to different communities, people ask me this question. They say, what am I supposed to do to actually build a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What am I supposed to do so that when I pray, I actually feel like I'm speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And the answer to that question has to do directly with this concept that we are exploring right now. That unfortunately, there is no short answer to it. There is no quick way to it. But what you need to do is that you need to do your acts of worship in a way where they are accepted. And the way to do that is that when you're doing the act of worship at that time, that's one thing. But then throughout the rest of the day, are you being fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's the real defining factor in all of this. If I am the type of person who, when I pray, then I move on from my praying, for example. When I go to the masjid and I, my, and I do my a'mal, I recite my du'a kumil, then I come home. If I come home and my actions are, you know, I'm refraining from sinning, then the spiritual effect of my a'mal will present themselves to me. And when that happens, you actually start to build a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then after 10 or 15 or 20 years of praying, you actually feel like, oh, this is the God that I like to speak to. Not the God that if I don't speak to, I will be punished in hellfire. No, not that God, but the God who he's the one who I rely on and I really like to speak to him and I would like to vent to him and speak of the different issues that I have. So then you start to build a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for anyone who has this question of what can I do in order to build the spiritual connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is your answer. And I wish the answer was an easier answer in practice. Um, it's not really. In theory, it's simple. But in practice, it's going to be very difficult and it will take years and years in order to implement in someone's life. And that's exactly the problem and the mistake that people have. When people carry out the different acts of worship that they do, they assume that the spiritual effect, the result of this act of worship, it will be determined by what they do right there and then when they're doing the act of worship. Whereas a lot of times the spiritual effect of it will be presented or will be determined, I should say, based on what they do outside of that act of worship. You might pray, if you pray 17 rak'ats a day, right, that might be 20 minutes of your time. But the spiritual effect of that 20 minutes will be determined by what you're doing with the other 10 to 12 hours or 15 or 16 hours that you're awake throughout the day. Okay? So that's how this, essentially, the system works for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't just look at just that act of worship. He looks at what you carry in your heart from his fear, right? And based on that fear, which will present itself in how much you refrain from sin, then the spiritual effects of an act of worship will then implement themselves in your life. And then what you'll find is that even if you do a small deed, if you, even if you don't do, even if you don't, you know, go all the way out, you know, when the month of Ramadan comes, even if you do some, then you will see the spiritual effect is really there. I will never forget reading this line from Ayatollah Bahjat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless his soul. He used to say that this salawat that we recite, you know, the salawat that, you know, we recite, if you go to any given majlis, you might recite a salawat maybe 10 to 15 times, you know. The, the mic isn't working, that's like three salawats right there, you know. Uh, I don't know, they want people to move forward, that's another four or five salawats right there. 
They want to stop the program to do fundraising. That's another four or five salawats there. Beginning of the lecture, end of the lecture, whatever the case may be, you might end up doing 20 different salawats, right? He used to say that this salawat carries so much spirituality with it that we don't even understand. This one line of Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. But then we recite the salawat like 20 times. We don't even feel like anything is happening to us. Why? Because it's not the, the problem isn't like how you're reciting salawat or, you know, it's not anything of that nature, right? It's what you're doing outside of that 10 seconds when you're reciting the salawat. So when Ali ibn Abi Talib says, Ya Allah, accept my deeds. Well, accept my deeds. It's good to pray like this, but the acceptance of your deeds is it's not like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sitting there randomly, you know, he's deciding, should I accept their deeds or should I not? No, he means make me such that when I carry out these deeds, I carry them out in a way that they become acceptable. And that only happens with fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think I've pointed out this story somewhere earlier in the podcast, but I'll do it real quick about how there were people who essentially they always, they, they did good deeds and they did bad deeds, right? And when they did the good deeds and the bad deeds, they assumed that they are, you know, building a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas in hadith you find Imam Sadiq says, he says, you're doing good deeds, you're doing bad deeds as well. When you mix these with each other, then the good deeds lose their spiritual effect. Yes, they will still count as a good deed, but they will not present the spiritual effect that you are uh, looking for, right? In that case, Imam Sadiq was walking with a person who essentially was, everyone was saying great things about him. And when Imam Sadiq followed him through the bazaar, he found that he stole pomegranates, he stole loaves of bread, and then further down in the bazaar, what he did is he took those same loaves of bread and those same pomegranates and he gave them as charity to the poor that he came across. And Imam Sadiq, interestingly, confronts him in this hadith and he says, well, you don't know what the Quran says. The Quran says, when I do one good deed, it counts as 10. And when I do one bad deed, it only counts as one, right? So I stole four, four things. That's a minus four. I gave them all as charity. That's a plus 40. So I'm still ending up with a profit of, you know, plus 36. I still have a net profit, essentially, to which Imam Sadiq responded with the same verse that we quoted at the beginning of this episode. Yes, that, that applies. If when you do the good deed, you don't go back and ruin it with bad deeds. Now, uh, of course, don't. This this is my personal opinion. It may not hold much value. But when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says muttaqin, it doesn't necessarily mean someone who never does anything wrong. It seems as though this is a person who overall he's fearful of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. If he has a shortcoming, then of course he does tawbah from it quickly, you know, and he and he goes back to obeying Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But at least he has to have that fear in his heart. Not the type of person who just walks around. He does good and he does bad. And he says, well, you know, the good will count as 10. No, the good will count as 10 if you don't ruin it with a whole bunch of other uh, bad deeds, essentially. Moving on. <laughs> Make it such that all of my a'mal, everything that I do, and everything that I say, Right, my you know whatever I say with my, my with my tongue and whatever I say with my actions, make it such so that all of them are wirdan wahida, that they are just one word and one speech. What is he trying to say? He's saying 
you know, in our day-to-day -day life, we do a whole bunch of things. And when we do these, you know, if you look at the schedule that you have in one day, from the time you wake up in the morning all the way to the time that you go to sleep at night, there might be 200, 300, 400, 500 different, you know, actions that you carry out. These 500, each one of them might be done for a different purpose. Some of them you do for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like you pray, right? And hopefully we do that for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of them we do for my relative, my cousin. Some of them I do for, you know, fame. Some of them I do for money. Some of them I do just because I want to feel good about myself, okay? Out of all of these, you find that my actions and my deeds, they're scattered in the real world. What does that mean? That means that every one of them is going in a different direction. Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying, make it such that when I do my deeds or the things that I say, all of it is done for one purpose and that one purpose is you. And the result of that is that all of it will look like one package. It won't be scattered anymore. All of it revolves around you and only you. This is what he means when he says, Right? That everything I do, even though it might look like I'm doing 500 different things, but because I'm doing all of them with the purpose of pleasing you in mind, essentially, technically, they are all one deed. They are all one speech. It's not scattered. It's not like I'm doing one for you. I'm doing another one for my cousin. I'm doing another one for the fame I'm going to get. I'm going to do another one for the money that I'm going to get out of this. Another one for the beauty that I'm going to get out of this. No, if I do all of these with the proper intention, as he mentioned before, if you remember in the line earlier on, that every moment in my day, there will be a remembrance of you. We mentioned this means that you do everything for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I do that, that when someone looks at my day-to-day -day schedule, they won't see some scattered schedule. No, they see one essentially point of focus. That is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is, it is one God-centric life. And then yes, there are different deeds that are revolving around this point of focus. Now, it's interesting because you also find traces of this in the verses of the Quran. Okay, and I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tie this inshallah to the day-to-day -day life that we have as well. In the verses of the Quran, Yusuf has this famous line that he mentions when he is put into prison by Zulaikha uh, and the other women of Egypt because the verse of the Quran says that all of them got together and made this decision that they would place him in, uh, you know, in prison for a while. And then the verses of the Quran, they don't speak too much about what happened in the prison, although we have Ahadith that speak about what happened in the prison with Yusuf. But then essentially the verses of the Quran say that, you know, these two guys came in who also used to work for the king and they were accused of trying to kill him or betray him. And then, of course, they had these dreams and they came to Yusuf and they said, Yusuf, if you can interpret this dream for us, these two dreams that we have and Yusuf accepted but if you look at the story, it's very beautiful. Before he actually interprets the dreams for them, for the first time ever, Yusuf starts to speak as a prophet. That's the first time in the whole story of Yusuf where he speaks as a prophet. Okay, When he starts speaking as a prophet, he takes advantage of this period of time where these two inmates, so to speak, are looking for the interpretation of their dreams. And he says, well, before I give you the interpretation for your dreams, 
let me tell you about the general message that I have for you. And he starts speaking that, yes, I come from a, a lineage of prophethood. This is what we believe in. Amongst that message uh, or amongst those lines that he explains to these two individuals before interpreting the dreams, he says this, Ya sijn would it make sense, would it make more sense, or would it be better for you to have multiple gods or to have one God who is more powerful than all of them and that will overwhelm all of them? He will encompass all of them. Okay, what Yusuf is saying is that your life would be a better life if everything was revolved around one center and you were doing everything for one purpose. What purpose is that? That purpose is the purpose of Tawheed. Now, what, how does this play? What type of role does this play in our day-to-day -day life? Inshallah, we'll leave that for the next episode as we're almost out of time. But I will just say this. What, it ha what happens when you do this is that your life is not scattered anymore. Your life has one framework has one structure, there is one person in charge, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He tells you what to do and the things that you do, of course, they might look like you might, you might, it might look like you're doing 200 different things, 300 different things, that's fine. Because it's all revolves around one structure, you are not lost in life and that's the key word, that you will not be lost in life. Now, what does that mean exactly? Inshallah, we'll leave that for the next episode and we'll discuss that uh, in the following episode. Until then, Keep us in your du'as. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.